you have your Bibles, if you would take those this morning, as well as your sermon notes, we're not going to be looking at just one passage of Scripture. Uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of different Scriptures, so you'll want to keep uh, your Bible handy there this morning as we talk about Jesus, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Last weekend, we began to talk about what we believe is a church family. Uh, I gave you a brief overview of our relationship uh, to and our connection with our larger family, the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. In other words, we're not an independent church that stands separate unto our own or to ourselves. We're a part of a larger church family that we partner with, that we have connection with, um, that we even uh, support uh, the ongoing work of the ministry of the larger church um, in a lot of different ways, and we'll be talking about that in, in the coming weeks. Um, but as as a Foursquare family, as a part of this church family, we have four foundational truths um, that are significant for us. We call them foundational because they make up who we are. It's what we believe, it's what we embrace, it's what we proclaim. Um, I gave them to you last week just as a point of review, or if you were not here last week, let me tell you what these four truths, or these, four, if you will, four points of doctrine are. The first is this, we talked about it last week, Jesus Christ, their Savior. Folks, there's only one way you can be saved, and it's through the cross. There's not many ways, but there's one way. That's through Jesus. Last week, we looked at the life of Nicodemus, and we talked about what it meant to be born again. If you were not here, Mike and Lori Diefenbach shared their testimony. Phenomenal. If you were not here, you should get the tape just to hear their testimony of how God worked redemption in their lives, saving their marriages. They opened their heart to him. But Jesus, listen, folks, Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. It's the big deal. It's the main thing. It's what we're committed to, that people would come to embrace Christ as their Savior. Secondly, we have our second point of doctrine would be Jesus the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. It's this that we want to talk about this morning. Jesus promised his disciples that he would not leave them comfortless, but he would send the comforter. He would send the counselor. He would send the Holy Spirit who would be with them and would be in them. And we're going to talk about the significance of, of that for our lives today, for the early church. But how does that connect with us today? Uh, next weekend, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ, the healer. We'll be looking at a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter 2 that talks about by his stripes we are healed. So not only did Christ give his life to bring redemption for our souls, but to bring healing for our bodies. That's why we, we pray for the sick, contending for God to heal and restore. And then the fourth point of doctrine is Jesus Christ, the soon coming king. The scripture assures us that Jesus is coming back. And we need to live with this sense of expectancy. We need, to, we need to live looking. As I like to say, I live with my rapture shoes on, uh, which means that it could be today. Um, so we live with that expectancy because the scripture says that Jesus is coming back. No man knows the hour, and we'll be talking about that as well. But this morning we want to focus on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. What I've discovered in the church at large, not just Grace Covenant, including Grace Covenant, but in the church at large, there's far too many Christians who are familiar with the fact that they are supposed to have a tender relationship with their Heavenly Father, and they know that this is possible through the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit is kind of the neglected member of the Godhead, thinking of the Trinity. We talk a lot about our Heavenly Father, and, and it's like we can, we can quickly embrace that and we can get our hands on that. We talk about Jesus, a Redeemer, even as we celebrated Holy Communion this morning. It's so real for us. And then many times we have this tendency to shy away from the work of the Holy Spirit, 
for our lives today and, and for the church. So we want to talk about that this morning. It's interesting that the, the Apostle Paul encouraged us that we should have communion with the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, listen to what Paul says. As he's closing out this letter to the church at Corinth, he says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the love of Christ... Love of, the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship. The New King James Version actually says the communion with the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the Greek word here, the original language of what the Scripture was written in, the Greek word here is koinonia, and it's significant. And I only mention that because it conveys three ideas. The communion with, the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It conveys three ideas. The first is intimacy, that we would have intimacy of relationship. So... It's the difference between knowing someone at a distance. If you see their face, well, yeah, I, I know that that's Tom Jones or I know that that's Susan. It's the difference between a far-off relationship and that of intimacy. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit speaks of this. It speaks of an intimacy of relationship. The second idea that this word conveys is that of partnership. And that the Holy Spirit wants to partner with us, wants to work in us and through us. And we're going to find the scripture talking a lot about that, about the work of the Holy Spirit, the partnership in our lives. I think the third idea it conveys is that of responsibility, that we have a responsibility. You can't say, well, I, I, I just didn't know. We'll get into God's word and find out what it has to say. Then you will know. So we have a responsibility. So this word koinonia kind of it carries with it this idea of, of intimacy, of relationship, of partnership in our lives, and of responsibility. That we, would, that we would understand the work and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The one who convicts us and brings us to the point of salvation. The one who reveals Jesus to us and through us. The one who convicts in our lives. The one who instructs in our lives. The one who directs our lives. All of that is the work of the Holy Spirit ongoing in the life of the believer as they have received Christ as their Savior. So why is there this tendency to avoid the Holy Spirit? Why do we have this tendency to shy away from? And These four points are not in your notes, but I want to give them to you quickly because I think they're significant. I think before we can embrace the dynamic of the fullness of the Spirit that we find Jesus promising, that we, that we find happening in Acts chapter 2, there's some hurdles that we got to get over. And if we don't get over these hurdles, then we'll never come to even uh, open our lives to the possibility of the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think the first hurdle we've got to get over is this. We're afraid of the supernatural. We're afraid of that which we cannot fully understand. We're afraid of that which we cannot analytically figure out in our minds. Listen, folks, there's three things that I've discovered in Scripture that, that I don't think we'll ever fully understand. Three things. The first is the Trinity. I mean, if you can fully comprehend the Trinity and then define that for me, that's going to be amazing. I mean, how, how could... How could the three be one yet all have their own identity? I, I mean, I've been, I studied all of that in Bible college and theology class. I, I don't understand why, because my brain is not wired to, to, to even to be able to get my hands around the vastness of the Trinity. I, I, I think a, a second thing that's totally beyond our understanding is the incarnation of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Now, I understand what I read in Scripture, and I believe what I read in Scripture. But you tell me how, you tell me how Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit. 
Fully, fully explain to me how God became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, folks, that's beyond our understanding. And so the supernatural, we have, a, we have a hard time getting our arms around the supernatural. And because it's not something concrete that we can hold in our hands and give definition to, many times we're close to it rather than being open to it. And when we're close to the supernatural, let me tell you what you've done. You've just closed your life off to what God would want to work in and through your life. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, folks, read the book. It's full of the supernatural. It's full of God doing God's stuff. Stuff that's beyond our ability. I mean, just think of any of the miracles in the Scripture. Think of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And the Scripture said he had been dead for, for three days when Jesus showed up. And Jesus says, rolled the stone away. And they said, oh, you don't want to do that. He's been dead now for three days. He's going to stink. Don't roll the stone away. And Jesus said, no, roll the stone away. And he called Lazarus. How, did that, how does that happen? How did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? I mean, I read it in the Scripture and I believe it, but I don't know how it happened. See, the, the scripture is full of the supernatural. So if we're going to fully embrace God's work in our lives, then we've got to get beyond this hurdle of, well, I have to understand it before I'm going to embrace it. Folks, how did you receive Christ? By faith. I mean, that's another one. Try to fully explain to me how God saved you. I, I mean, I, I know we've kind of got some things in human terms for theology but how how did Jesus bring a a new birth? I mean, even Nicodemus struggled. He says, do I I have to enter into my mother's womb a second time to be born again? So there's there's things of God that are beyond our understanding. Analytically, you're never going to figure it out because your mind was not wired for it, okay? So one, we, we've got to get to the place that we're not afraid of the supernatural. I think the second hurdle was this. We've made the Holy Spirit mystical. Uh, and I would want you to know this morning that there's nothing mis- mystical about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity who's presently working in the life of believers to bring them to God's best for their lives. How does he do that? Through convicting us, through teaching us, through transforming our minds, through revealing Jesus to us. I I read a great book recently, you might want to pick up. It's by Rick Renner. It's called The Dynamic Duo. And what I love about this book on the Holy Spirit is it demystifies the Holy Spirit. Because we just kind of, there's this kind of mystery. I mean, if you read the King James Version, uh, many times where you would find the word Holy Spirit, maybe in the NIV or the New American Standard, and the King James Version, you find the word Holy Ghost. And I think that's even, that has even added to this mystery of the Holy Spirit. Because when you think of ghosts, what do you think of? Kind of, ooh, kind of here and not here. Kind of floating in and floating out. But folks, there's nothing mysterious about the Holy Spirit. If you get into God's Word, you'll find well-defined the work of the Holy Spirit for our lives in the church today. I think a third hurdle that we've got to get over is this. We've not fully understood the role of the Holy Spirit or the necessity of the Holy Spirit for our lives. So because of our lack of understanding, we've kind of shied away from the, from the things of the Spirit rather than opening our lives to them. I think the fourth is this. We've limited the work of the Holy Spirit to times of congregational worship and we've not embraced the day-to-day of the dynamic of the Holy Spirit for our lives. In other words, we've, we've taken the Holy Spirit and, and we've made him event-oriented. Now, I've been a part of the Pentecostal family all my life. I was born into a Pentecostal church and 
It's my roots. I love my Pentecostal family. However, when it comes to this, I have an issue with my Pentecostal family. And that we have limited the work of the Holy Spirit to our service time on 9.30 at Sunday morning. And when we show up at church at 9.30 on Sunday morning, this is when the Holy Spirit works. Let me tell you, Holy Spirit's not limited to 9.30 on Sunday morning. He's 24-7 in your life. He wants to continually work in your life. So we've, we've taken the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we've limited them to this service time. So when we show up, the worship team does this, and then the Holy Spirit does this, and so this is when and where the Holy Spirit works in this service time. Listen, I'm convinced that the gifts of the Spirit should be working more in our lives outside of the church than they should be in the church. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's 24-7. He's not limited to a service time. Yet we've done that. We've kind of boxed in the Holy Spirit. Well, he's going to work at this time in this place. No. He wants to work in your life, in your marriage, at your workplace, through your life. So we need to broaden our understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. We need a better understanding and and an openness too. Well, let's look for a moment at Jesus' role in making way for the Holy Spirit. It's when we say Jesus, the baptizer, with the Holy Spirit. Because we're going to discover this morning that that one of the main focuses of Jesus' ministry was the preparation of and sending forth the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and in the church today. Let's look first to Mark chapter 1. If you have your scripture, look with me to Mark chapter 1. At his baptism... Jesus was introduced by John as the one who would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, this this word baptize means to immerse in. When we baptize someone in water, when we got the baptismal tank full and we baptize someone in water, if you've noticed, we put them all the way under. We fully immerse them in water. When they come up, they're all wet. Why? Because we fully immerse them in. So notice what John says here. John the Baptist, he's out baptizing the River Jordan, and he makes this proclamation about Jesus. Mark 1, 7. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. He will immerse you into the fullness of the Spirit, the dynamic of the Spirit. So here at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we find John introducing him, making this proclamation. Here comes one who's greater than I, and this is what he's going to do. I've been baptizing in water, but he's going to baptize you in the Spirit. Jumping forward at the Last Supper, Jesus promised the disciples another helper. And he explained then the advantage of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And John 14, as they're gathered there having the Last Supper, just before Jesus is to go to the cross, Jesus begins to explain to them this helper. See, Jesus understood this about the disciples, that they were frail human beings just like you and I. Even though he had been with them for three years, teaching them and and modeling for them, he understood that they could not carry out the mission of the early church on their own. That they would need a power greater than themselves. That they would need, a, they would need an ability greater than themselves. So this is what he said, I'm going to send you another helper. And it's going to be interesting because I've been with you, but he's going to be with you and be in you. Interesting. So just before going to the cross, Jesus directs the disciples, I'm, I'm, sending, I'm sending the comfort, I'm sending the counsel, the Holy Spirit for you. And then as, at his ascension, 
Or maybe better stated, just before his ascension, Jesus reiterated to the disciples the importance of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He commanded them not only to expect it, but to seek it. Interesting. Not only to expect it, but to seek it. Let's look to Acts chapter 1. Turn there with me if you want. Acts chapter 1. So the, the context here is Jesus has been resurrected, but he's not yet ascended, okay? He's resurrected, he's given his life, he's been crucified, resurrected, but he's not yet ascended to the Father. And notice what he says, verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Isn't that interesting? Notice that word. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, if it happened to be convenient for you, or if you'd like to, or if it works into your busy schedule. Notice what he says. Scripture says that he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized, you will be immersed into the Holy Spirit. Drop on down to verse 8. Jesus says, but you will receive power. You will receive, the Greek word there is dunamis. You will receive a dynamic when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So just before Jesus ascended, he, he reminded the disciples again of the significance of them receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit for their lives. And what Jesus predicted and what he prepared the disciples for occurred on the day of Pentecost, bringing radical transformation and rapid multiplication to the early church. You read about it in Acts chapter 2. We don't have time to read the whole story this morning, but Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 41 talks about what happened on the day of Pentecost. It talked about how the disciples were radically changed. I mean, they went from hiding behind closed doors to boldly proclaiming the gospel. All of a sudden, miracles began to happen in and through their lives. Jerusalem was turned upside down. Thousands are getting saved. The early church is exploding with growth. Radical transformation, rapid multiplication happened as a result of the outpouring, the fullness of the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. So we see that throughout Scripture, and Jesus spoke of this. He spoke of the significance of the Holy Spirit. And he made it very clear to the disciples the importance of their waiting on and being filled with the Holy Spirit in their lives. So Jesus knew that the Holy Spirit would fulfill two significant roles in the life of the believer. And we find these established in Scripture. Let me give them to you. The first is this. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit indwells us at salvation as we open our lives to God's saving grace. So when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you open your life to Him, the Scripture says the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your life. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. John 14, 17 says when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll be with you and He'll be in you. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Paul talks about how we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. The promise, the promise being sealed with the Holy Spirit, the promise of eternal life. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul talks about how we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, would you turn there with me? John chapter 20. Notice what happens. Again, the, the context here, the, the broader setting is this. Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, but he's not yet ascended. 
And notice as he's with the disciples, notice what he says to them and, and catch the action here. John 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone who sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, then they are not forgiven. Now, prior to this time, the disciples were technically true believers. They, they were followers of Jesus, and they were saved according to the old covenant. But now we find here at this point that they become regenerated. They become born again in the full new covenant sense. And that Jesus has now given his life. The blood has been shed. The atonement has been made. And they here become the first, the first believers. As, as the scripture says that Jesus breathed of the Holy Spirit upon them. Now there's two separate events. There's this event that we find here in John chapter 20 where they received the Holy Spirit. Yet Jesus still told them, you need to go to Jerusalem and you need to wait there. You need to wait there for the gift that the Father has sent is going to send for you. So there's the indwelling of the Spirit. The second role of the Holy Spirit is the empowering. The empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's what we find happening in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit empowers us as we open our lives to the fullness of God's dynamic for our lives. The empowering of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit for our lives. In other words, it's separate from and follows our salvation experience. Again, looking back to the scripture in John 20, 22, we just read it. There was the time where the disciples, the scripture says that Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. They were born again. Yet, they went to Jerusalem, and according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, they received a power. There was a dynamic that God poured out on their lives that brought about radical life transformation, that empowered them, and that equipped them. So as we look here beyond the role of the Holy Spirit, we find that he works in some dynamic ways in and through our lives. So he indwells us at salvation. There's the potential of his empowering work in our lives. And it works out in these five ways. Let me give, give these to you quickly as I wrap this up. The first is this. The Holy Spirit is sent as a resource to us. John 14, verse 15 through 18, talks about how the Holy Spirit would come and resource the disciples. See, God knew the early disciples needed an ability greater than what they had. Their assignment of carrying forth the message of redemption in and of themselves and their own strength would have been futile. Scripture says that before the day of Pentecost, before the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were actually hiding behind closed doors in fear. After the day of Pentecost, they're boldly confronting the religious leaders of the day. Folks, you, you cannot deny this. Something dynamic happened in the lives of the disciples on the day of Pentecost. You, you absolutely cannot read Scripture honestly and deny that. Jesus says here to the disciples, I'm going to send you the counselor or the comforter. The Greek word here is parakletos. It means one who would come alongside of you to enable you. One who would come alongside of you to assist you. So the Holy Spirit is sent first as a resource to us. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is sent as a teacher for us. John 14, 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit teaches us. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture only to go back a few days, a few weeks later to read the same passage of Scripture and say all of a sudden, wow, I didn't know that was in there. 
Now, let me ask you what happened. Did someone get your Bible and write something in? When you wasn't looking, did someone take your Bible and insert a page into your Bible? No. What happens? The Holy Spirit. Scripture says the Holy Spirit teaches us, instructs us. I tell you, one of the things I pray often is, Holy Spirit, teach me. I'm telling you, there's so much I don't know. And my understanding is so limited. I pray often, Holy Spirit, would you, would you teach me? As, I, as I'm in the Word, Holy Spirit, would you reveal this of God's Word, which is a live environment? Would you reveal it in my life? As the Holy Spirit, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would teach us. The third thing is this, the Holy Spirit is sent as an equipper. An equipper to work through us. There's a real good reason why Jesus explicitly directed disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait there. To wait until they received the Holy Spirit that God had promised. Because see, they needed an ability beyond their own. They needed a power beyond what they were able to do. They needed to be equipped for the assignment that was ahead because the assignment was bigger than they were. I would submit to you today that the assignment God's given you is bigger than you're able to do in your own ability. I mean, let's just start really simple. Let's talk about being a Christian. Any of you, can any of you be a Christian on your own? I, that's beyond my ability. I, I just think of my first two assignments in life, being a believer and being a husband. And I can't do those on my own, I'm sorry. And if you're real honest this morning, I don't think you can either. I don't think you can be the husband that you need to be, the wife that you need to be, the parent that you need to be. Much less, let's even talk about being a believer. See, God understood that. He understood that the assignment that the disciples had was bigger than they were. It was bigger than what they could do. So he sent the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, to equip, to equip them for the assignment at hand. Golly, I missed one, didn't I? Let's go back. I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit is sent as a witness to go before us. John 6, says, no one can come to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit. Which means this, the Holy Spirit is preparing people's heart before you ever tell them about Jesus. That's why we should never be afraid to go and witness to someone. All we got to do is tell them the story. The scripture says the Holy Spirit draws them and brings them to the point the Holy Spirit reveals their need. You've become only the messenger. We see this clearly illustrated in Acts chapter 8 verse 26. Philip's been holding this kind of wild revival in Samaria. Angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Philip, you need to go down to this road, the road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip, being obedient, goes down on this road, and here comes the Ethiopian eunuch riding along in his chariot, and he's reading. And Philip just goes up and says, hey, what you reading? And this is my paraphrase, obviously. So what you reading? He said, well, I'm reading from the, the scroll of Isaiah. So what does it say? The Ethiopian eunuch said, I have no idea. I'm just reading it. I don't even understand what it means. And Philip says, hey, you want me to tell you about it? Philip gets up in the chair and shares the gospel message with him. The scripture says that day the Ethiopian eunuch is saved and baptized. Now, folks, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit was working before Philip ever got there. Philip just became the messenger. He just became the man who would deliver the message. The Holy Spirit was already coming. So the Holy Spirit is a witness who goes before us. And lastly, this morning, the Holy Spirit is sent as a voice to speak to us. And John 16, verses 13 through 14, talks about how the Holy Spirit would speak to us, would guide us and direct us, would remind us of truth, would reveal a need, reveal the future. I think of a recent situation in my life. I was driving down the road and um, the Holy Spirit put this family on my mind. The message was simply this, you, you need to call this family. I got busy in the day's activities, didn't call. And 
Next day, it was the same thing. You need to call this family. And, uh, so I, I took, I, I decided I would uh, just stop then and call this family. And, and as I called this family, the lady answered the phone, and I said, this is Pastor Farrell. The Lord just put you on my heart, and I'm just wondering if there was anything I could pray with you about. And she started crying. She said, my husband's been away now for three weeks, new job, and he's been out of town, and we've got a house, and we've been trying to sell the house, and can't sell the house, and need to sell the house so the family can be reunited. Husband's gone, but someone just broke into her house, robbed all of her stuff, uh, and she was just, uh, she was a broken, disencouraged lady, and I was able to encourage her, and I was able to pray for her two weeks later, the house, so they've already moved, families reunited. It was interesting. How did I know about that? I'm not that smart. I'm not that bright. I mean, the only way I could know about that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a voice that speaks to us. Listen, we have about 2,500 people now who would call Grace Covenant their home. We have about 1,600, 1,700 that will worship on a weekend. There's absolutely no way that I can keep up with that many people. The only way I can do it is... It's the Holy Spirit as the voice who speaks to us, who directs, who reveals need, who, who brings direction for our lives. So the Holy Spirit is not something that's mysterious. The Holy Spirit is that of the third person in the Trinity. That the scripture would say, Jesus would say this, it's for your good that I'm leaving so I can do this, so I can send the Holy Spirit to you. So Jesus came to bring redemption for us through the cross, and he came to send the Holy Spirit to us. He encouraged the disciples, and he reminded them again and again of the significance of and the necessity of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And the interesting, interesting thing I find is, is that Jesus never stated it as an option. You'll not find it anywhere in Scripture. Jesus didn't say to the disciples, oh, if you'd like to do this, or if you think it's a good idea, or it might be convenient, or... You know, if you kind of feel like it, then you might want to do this. You won't find that in Scripture. You'll find Jesus directing to the disciples, this is significant, this is necessary for your lives. The empowering of the Spirit, the one who would teach and resource and equip. I would want you to know that the same is available for us today. Hebrews 13, 8 says this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, in the, in the simplicity of my mind, this is what I think that verse means. Is that Jesus hadn't changed. He's still doing the same thing. The very thing that he made available to the disciples, he's made available for us today. Why? Because he knows that we're frail human beings. He knows that the assignment that he's given us is far beyond our ability. In Luke chapter 11, verse 11, I'll close with this verse. Listen to what Jesus said to the disciples. Which of you fathers, if your sons ask for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you, though, are evil, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven spirit to those who ask him? Scripture says all we have to do is ask. Father wants to give. Our responsibility to open our lives to, to get over the hurdles, to open our lives to. And you say, Pastor, I'm sorry, but I don't fully understand. Hey, I don't either. I'll be honest with you, I don't either. I don't fully understand the supernatural, yet I choose to embrace it. Why? Because I find it revealed in God's word, and that's good enough for me. It's good enough for me. It's, God says it's significant for my life. 
to live in the dynamic of the Spirit. It's available for us today. So the Holy Spirit indwells and empowers. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask our prayer teams if they would come. Lord, we thank you this morning for the promise of your word. God, we thank you this morning that you did not leave us comfortless, but you sent the comfort. You sent the Holy Spirit who would not only be with us, but who would be in us. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you haven't changed. And, Lord, that you knew in our human frailty, Lord, that the assignment that you had for us is so much bigger than, than we could even begin to embrace. So, Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells us at salvation. Oh, Lord, that brings the promise of eternal life. But, Lord, we also thank you today for the empowering of the Holy Spirit that equips us and resources us to live out the dynamic, Lord, of your power. For you said that, in, in Acts 1-8, Lord, you said you would give power, that dunamis, that dynamic for our lives. And Lord, we come this morning to embrace that. Lord, we come, Lord, even as your, Lord, even as your word says, you invite us simply to ask of you. And so, Lord, we do that today. Hallelujah. Would you look at me just for a moment? We have some of our leaders here today.